I think God was very, very wise to give us so much of an emphasis on music when we get together and worship Him. It's a blessing to me. I trust it's a blessing to you that you have a, a love for singing about what God has done for you, about the Godhead Himself, and um, so many wonderful songs, and I'm so thankful for those that participate, including you, for singing out. And I'll just let you know, I'm not pushy on where you sit, but if you sit closer to the front, you can hear so many people singing. Greg references it, references it every once in a while. You can hear everybody singing, and it's really a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm going to ask us to stop and bow in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, we would come to you with this request that you would allow distractions to be removed. We, we work hard on that here. We do our best. And yet I know that the things that would draw for our attention, uh, they are wide and vast. I know that the pain and struggles that many people walk into here with today are deep, are things that they don't want to necessarily talk about. And God, I praise you for the continuity of a time when we can come to your word. I praise you and depend upon the fact that the Holy Spirit would be present with us and would do a wonderful teaching of what you've given us in your word. And I would ask for that at this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some decisions some conversations that it would be nice if nobody ever had to have that kind of a conversation. I've had the opportunity to talk to a number of individuals that had someone that they loved that was in the hospital and it was looking very bad as far as what was going to happen with them. And sometimes family members are put in a place where they have to make a very, very difficult decision. There are times when the individual that is sick or is in the hospital bed has had opportunity to speak about their wishes. Such is the case with my grandmother several years ago. My grandmother um, was very, very sick and was in the hospital and the doctors came and they said, if you want to survive, if you want to live, we're going to have to continue and we're going to have to give you a blood transfusion. And she did not want a blood, blood transfusion. As that came up, she had a religious belief in her background to where she had this built in to where she was, so, she was so frightened. She was so scared of this idea of having that blood transfusion that she thought something horrible was going to happen. And so she held on to that. And even as her children would talk to her and say, Mom, we want to have you around. This decision could cost you your life. There was something very, very deep in my grandmother who did not belong to a Christian church, but she belonged to a cult. And there was something very, very deep within her that caused her, when she was in the hospital, to refuse the counsel of everyone. There was a core value that she had within her that would not be persuaded from that, that belief. And what stands out is how the counsel she got from everybody that loves her was not heeded. It was not listened to. You see, there was something that was burned within her, something that she believed very strongly. And even though the doctors and people that loved her 
And if you're familiar with this at all, you understand that there was nothing bad that was going to happen to her spiritually if she had a blood transfusion. And yet she said, I will not. And she ended up dying very soon after that. I want to suggest to us today that there are times that we are going to have something that needs to be burned into us, something that is our default position. It cannot be shaken. When you get backed into a corner or even when others around you are trying to make a case for something, the society around you, I'm not talking about good Christian counselors, I'm talking about the world that is around us. Today we're gonna see from God's word how we need to have something deep within that we can hold on to. You know, Jesus Christ was wonderful at giving shocking statements. He really was. As Christ walked in this world, the most important work that he did was he sacrificed himself on the cross for the sins of mankind. This makes salvation available to anybody who will accept him as Savior. But we are blessed to have the teachings of Jesus Christ and even the interaction that he had with others. I love the interaction that Jesus had with people that he knew and that he loved But sometimes we sit back and we're very much um, interested in the interaction that he had with people that he was not close with. Those who might consider themselves to be an enemy of Jesus Christ. Such is the case in the most famous sermon that was ever preached in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to reference this just quickly to set up what we'll be discussing today. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes and he makes a shocking statement because he talks to everybody that is there and they knew who the Sadducees and the Pharisees were. If you're not familiar with them, these were the religious leaders of the day. The Jewish religious leaders and they had power, they had authority, they had influence and they were not men who pleased God. And Jesus would commonly stand against these religious leaders And in in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 20, Jesus says something that is shocking because he teaches these people. Some of you have been to that mountainside where we believe the Sermon on the Mount took place. It's a wonderful experience. And Jesus stops right there and he gives this message to that, that crowd of people. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. Now this was a tough thing for them to hear because the the scribes and the Pharisees, they had so many rules and so many laws. They were doing so many things. The letter of the law they would hold to. And yet people that knew them could see through that it wasn't something that was deep within necessarily. It wasn't something that they were genuine about. There was hypocrisy that was going on. I want to read for you Um, Just a portion from Matthew chapter 5. You can turn there if you like. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 has a portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said these things. First of all, Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus gets specific about this. He gets specific. He, He names several things that the scribes and Pharisees have said. And by the way, Don't miss this part. These are things that were in the law. So they're not necessarily bad things. But Jesus makes a contrast by taking it further than just what it said. I'll read a few for you. 
Starting in chapter 21, Jesus says this to them. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be, a, will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Look at verse number 27 if you're there. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Skip down to verse number 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then finally, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What was Jesus doing here with this very clear contrast that he was laying out? He was laying out the way of the scribes and the Pharisees and he's telling them, you have to do better than this. Well, for some to hear that message initially would have sent horror through their veins. How can we do better than the scribes and Pharisees? They're constantly telling us that we're never going to make it. Now, if you spend time studying Matthew chapter 5 and what Jesus is doing, he's getting to the point that they actually not only have to keep the law and what Jesus says to them, but they actually have to be perfect. That's what it says there in the end of uh, chapter 5. You, therefore, must be perfect as your father, father, and your father in heaven is perfect. And the idea is, is not one of us can ever measure up to that. It is only because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ that God the Father will look upon us and we will be acceptable to him. Jesus was a master at the contrast as he was teaching. In what may view as good morals, he talks about there, and what others would say they desire to have in their life, Jesus says something more than that. Jesus is going to take them to the point where you not only have to have this as a part of your life, but you need to get to the place where you have absolute truth in your life. We're going to talk today about absolute truth. If you, if you want to take away sentence from our message today, it would be this. Your core values need to reflect the truth of God's word. And sometimes this will stand in contrast to the common values of the world. I'm not saying the sins of the world. I'm saying the common values that our world holds. Sometimes your values that should be based on absolute truth will be in contrast to the world's values. All that to bring us to our text, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, please uh, borrow one from the pew rack in front of you. If you don't have a Bible um, in your possession or at your home, please take that Bible and keep it as a gift from us. We've slowed way down with our uh, study in Ephesians. We were going pretty good. We were getting through sometimes 10 and sometimes 15 verses in a shot. And now we've slowed down quite a bit to where we're really going to cover half a verse today. But as I have mentioned that the application for this is so so easy 
I mean, it does, it does all the work for me as far as the application in life. And I pull out this picture of a soldier, a Roman soldier, because we've gotten into the area of Christian warfare. We focused last time on verses 10, 11, and 12, focusing on the reality of Satan's power. I pleaded with us to understand that the devil is real and he has you in his sights. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants to make you ineffective. And so now we get to get into the specifics. And the devil doesn't have to have every one of these pieces of armor where he can attack you. How many does the devil need in order for you to be vulnerable? One. He needs just one. So when we get to your favorite piece of the armor and you're really good in that, don't think you're covered because we have this beautiful picture that the Apostle Paul writes for us to give us exactly what we need so that we don't have to wake up afraid of the devil. We don't have to fear him even if we stand up and teach a lesson on the dangers of the devil. I didn't get up this morning and I wasn't nervous that he was going to do something to me because I'm confident in God's plan of putting on the whole armor of God. And today we'll talk about that first one. I'll I'll start reading in verse 13 of Ephesians 6 where it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're gonna cover just that first one today. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, I believe some of you probably have a King James Version out there, and the King James Version there says, having your loins girt about with truth. And that makes the job for the teacher even harder. If there ever was a good reason for a modern translation, Ephesians or Ephesians 6.14 would be that. If I go to one of my kids and say, hey, on your way out the door today, make sure you've girded up your loins with truth. I don't think that, well, they'd probably say, okay, got it, and walk out the door. But I doubt they've really got it. When we think of a belt, we come to a picture, Right? I was with my wife downtown this past week and we were in a store and, and uh, there were all kinds of belts that were in there and I was looking at the variety of belts. Women have so much more variety with belts and I, that doesn't bother me. I don't want a whole lot. But if men do get variety, oftentimes, especially if you go down to Texas, you get variety in the area of the belt buckle, right? Some people get that belt buckle and that's what the belt is all about for them. It's not about holding up your trousers. It's, it's about, you know, how big a belt buckle you can uh, put on that belt there. For some people, when they think of a belt, they think of a lack of a belt. And the horrible trend that we've seen in the past years of people not wearing belts and wearing their pants a little bit lower, a little bit lower, you know. And I know you've seen this, these guys that are grabbing their pants because they're going to be, well, I don't know if they'd be embarrassed in public or not. Their underwear is already showing, Some of us think of a belt in that way, and I need to go ahead and ask you to transition to try to picture the belt of a Roman soldier. And when we think of the belt of a Roman soldier, Paul is going to talk about that, and he's going to talk about how key that is to the entire uniform, this belt of truth. And so just for, um, we'll lay this foundation, the Apostle Paul, under arrest, when he wrote this, likely looking at a Roman soldier. Might have looked something like this, a little bit like this. 
And Paul was such a great teacher, just like Jesus Christ, that he used illustrations all the time. Have you noticed that? What we have here in the whole armor of God is an illustration. It's a picture. And so we need to not be too hard on individuals that would teach and would use colorful illustrations. Jesus was the master at using illustrations. But you need to know a little bit about the Roman soldier when we think of his belt because it helped with a lot of things. First of all, it helped to make accessible every other piece of the armor. We don't think of that with our belt today. But the belt that they would have would play a key role. You see, a Roman soldier would have something of a covering, almost like a tunic, which would be like a coat. Some have said a tunic was almost like a blanket with three holes cut in it that covered everything up. There may have been a split in the front, almost like a a robe that wrapped all the way around. But the Apostle Paul here is talking about being ready for warfare, specifically a wrestling match. And would a soldier be ready if that big cape, that big blanket was wrapped around them? Would they be able to fight very effectively if that was there? And of course the answer is no. They would have to take that tunic and they would have to tuck it into their belt so they could access every other part of the armor. So they could have their hands free to fight. Also the sword would be kept in this belt. And so we need to understand as we talk about the other pieces of armor that the belt would allow every other piece to play its role. Now regarding truth here, so small verse we're talking about, one half of a verse, the belt of truth. What is this? If this is one of the ways that we can practice to where we do not have to fear the devil, to where we don't have to pray, God, take me home now because I'm not doing anything for you in this world, We can walk in this world and have an impact. What is this belt of truth? Well, all commentators agree that truth here is two things. It is both the written word of God that we have and also truth is the character and integrity of our lives. You cannot just pick one of these. You cannot just say, I'm all about the Bible. I've got all the answers. I've got the verses memorized. I've got those old creeds memorized. But if your lifestyle does not match it, you are vulnerable to the attack of the devil. Also, if you are practicing everything that you possibly can, you're just out there and you have so much energy and you have so much gumption and you're doing what you can and you are not allowing yourself to be strengthened with a knowledge of God's word, you are vulnerable to attack. This is where false teachers will come in. And they'll sound very, very convincing because those who would lead you astray do not come and read from the Satanic Bible. They do just like the devil did. They read from our Bible and they misquote it. Did God actually say, he said to Eve in the Garden of Eden. And so if we will take advantage of all God requires us to have to stand against the methods of the devil, that means there are going to be some core values that are in place. There needs to be be something within us that helps us be effective. Now, I will freely admit that one of the biggest tools of the devil is the area of getting people that are outside the body of Christ and even people inside the body of Christ to point to hypocrites. And hypocrites are going to be those ones who have a knowledge 
of God's word, and yet their actions betray what they have in their head. Likely most of you have come into contact with some kind of a hypocrite. And there's a good chance that most of us have stood in that place of being the hypocrite, at least to some point. We must have God's truth regularly coming through, like, not like a stagnant pond, but like a flowing stream, the truth of God's word, and we must have a testimony of practicing the truth. What does this look like? There are all kinds of people that aren't really what they say. They might get so far in the conversation. I mean, if you're an American, there's several Christian values that you adhere to. It looks like this. It looks like the family where they tell their young people, you know, in this house, we respect God's word, and you're not going to have sex outside of marriage. That's a core value of this house. And then when it's a one-on-one, we want to make sure that you have access to birth control, just in case. What kind of a message is being sent when we do that? Is that a core value? I suggest to you it's not a core value. It's the answer that we know we should give, but where the rubber meets the road, we are willing to send a message, well, you're probably going to sin anyway. Well, we don't want the embarrassment of getting pregnant out of wedlock. We must have a testimony of practicing the truth, and the world that we live in has a real struggle with this. Now, I will admit to you, especially in our country, they don't have a struggle with all of it, right? I mean, at least three or four of the Ten Commandments, that kind of goes across the board. Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie. I mean, they'll give us those. But when you talk about absolute truth, I want to suggest to us that if we have something deep within, there is going to come a confrontation. If you have something deep within you, you're going to get to a place where you're going to move forward with an action and you are going to be opposed because the world does not understand this. And they think you'll eventually come around. Everyone has their price, they will say. And just like my grandmother had something within her and she could not hear anything else, I want to suggest to us, on a positive side, there needs to be something within you that is core, and that is this belt of truth, what God's Word says and the practice of God's Word, because the world will not understand it. Can you remember the conversation between Jesus Christ and Pilate? When we think about Christ and think about that interaction that he had with Pilate who had the freedom to set him, or he had the the authority to set him free, so he thought. And the conversation that he had, I think this was at the heart of the conversation. I think the idea is Pilate knew, and he was smart. You don't get to a position that he was in without being incredibly smart. He had been around the block a few times. He knew those scribes and those Pharisees and he knew what their righteousness was and he knew that it was a sham. And so Pilate and Jesus interact before Christ goes to the cross and here is what the Bible says. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. 
Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? This idea was foreign to Pilate. What is that? And here's a man who is willing to die for his convictions, for something that was absolute. And in this world, you are going to come against people and you hopefully will hold to a conviction and as you hold to it, they'll scratch their heads, but it will send a message. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. When you do that thing that they don't understand that is based upon God's word, and it's consistent with how you have acted throughout your relationship with them, it will send a strong message. And the people who would influence others today do not have that core conviction. There is something of this world, and it doesn't look like the devil per se. In fact, a whole lot of it looks like some things that we hold to and talk about. Let me give this illustration. There's a gentleman named Peter Singer. He's a professor at Princeton University. Professor Singer is, has been called one of the most influential philosophers in the world. And he has an extreme amount of influence over his teachers, over staff, over other colleges actually with what he says and what he teaches there at Princeton. He got even more of a following when he got over a quarter of a million views on YouTube for his TED Talk where the topic was this, you need to pay attention, the topic of his TED Talk was this, it was challenging these educators, these up-and-comers in his TED Talk to give up to 10% of their future earnings to charity so that lives might be saved. This sounds good. This sounds like somebody who's got a positive message. And Professor Singer is loved by thousands And he is not afraid to be bold with some of his shocking philosophies. Let me share one philosophy with you of this very influential man. He says that it is perfectly fine for a set of parents to conceive a child and have a child for the purpose of killing that child to access its organs, to give those organs to another child. I imagine he's fairly persuasive when he talks about this. I imagine there are thousands that would listen and would say, who am I to argue with him? Further, Professor Singer says this, if you have a one-year-old child who has a physical defect or a mental defect, it's perfectly moral to kill that child. And when one of us would come up against a professor from an Ivy League school, how would you feel debating that? Can I suggest to you that if you have a core foundation of what God's word has said, you have something that is so much stronger to stand upon as you walk in this world. You do not have to be afraid of the majority, but you do need to be disciplined You do need to put on the belt of truth every day. We talk about this idea of reading your Bible, of taking in Bible knowledge, of getting serious about it, and it could not be more important. It is so jugular to what we do. What is possibly most disheartening about this whole um, subject that I bring up here in Professor Singer is the subject that he teaches at Princeton. 
Maybe some of you can guess the subject that he teaches at Princeton University. He teaches the subject of ethics. That's what he teaches. What is right and what is wrong and who is to say? I want to tell you who is to say what is right and what is wrong. God has given it to us in his word. And if you want to not be open to the attacks of the devil, you need to have something within you. Even when the world would shout against what the Bible says, you would say, this is firm in what I believe. If we think that the greatest danger that's going to come and attack us is going to come from a Hollywood mentality, or if you think the greatest danger to the next generation are people calling out from a, a red light district, if you think that's the biggest danger, then you are underestimating our enemy. The devil is subtle, and he wants to attack, and he will take them on an intellectual level. He will take the next generation, and he will deceive them. And this is why parents and grandparents, it is so key that you are pouring this into them. Yes, they're gonna make a decision on their own someday. Don't think I don't pray to God about the day that my children get to the place and it's gonna be revealed what they really believe, what is at the core. We spend time teaching them please and thank you, putting braces on their teeth. Stay away from there, don't go there. Do you understand how much of a responsibility we have to emphasize the word of God and it will come from our understanding it and knowing it and it will come from our practicing it. We have to have this as a part of our life. We have learned that the devil needs to be seen as a lion and one of the pictures that I oftentimes refer to is kind of behind the reeds, behind the brush and he's waiting And he's not going to attack the strongest part. He's going to attack the most vulnerable part. Am I in danger of attack? All right, what can we do with this? What are we supposed to do with this short section? Two things that I want to challenge us to do. Number one, let the word of God permeate every core value that you have. You need to be so familiar with the word of God and regularly taking in this stream of God's word that it permeates all of your core values. And so we cannot substitute personal study. Yes, reading, but also study. I have found, in my experience, the best way people learn the word of God well is when they have to teach the word of God. If you have to teach a lesson about something, think about it. If I would have started this let this message today by saying all of you are going to have to teach this message sometime tomorrow. You would have been listening a little bit differently, right? Your notes would have been a little more full, right? If you're teaching God's word, you're going to take it in. That's a beautiful thing and we need people to teach. Um, our Bible knowledge hour is structured time. It's been so wonderful. It, it's really been a basic start, but we're just now getting into the book of Exodus, and we need to be constantly stretching ourselves, letting God's word permeate everything. And you might not have the answer, okay? Don't think just because you studied it, you're going to have it clearly figured out. But here's what you've got. If you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit living within, and something's going to come up, 
And even if you can't give the Bible verse or can't give the answer or give the argument against that college professor, here's what will happen. A red flag will go up. There will be a warning. And you'll say, there's something quite not right. Let's not move forward. I don't feel right saying that. Allowing the word of God to permeate all of our core values. And then second, and like I said, the application has been so easy for me. Have confidence that the practicing of God's truth will be rewarded. You need to have confidence that the God who is over all things, who is watching over your life, he is going to allow when you are opposed, when you are punished, when bad stuff happens because you stood for right, you need to trust that God is good. You don't do it because it's rewarded. Many of you are familiar with the book of Job. Job had one that he loved that came to him and said, when Job had lost everything and he still would not turn against God, and he was asked the question, how long will you remain in your integrity? And I want to let you know, anybody can do it when it's easy. All right? Don't you see it all the time? People sign up for Christianity. Yeah, let's add church to my life. Yeah, let's add Jesus to my life. I need something like Jesus to add on to my life. No. As soon as the adversity comes and the trials come, and I was talking to someone just before the service, that's the guarantee we have. If you turn to Jesus Christ, the trials are going to come. How long will you remain in your integrity? There needs to be something deep within you that holds on to the truth of God and that flows out in your life through your words, through your actions. And it might seem small. And at work, maybe everybody else is doing something different. Maybe your supervisor says you can do something different. And yet there's something within you saying, don't go down that road. And if I can get preachy with you, what kind of an opportunity are you going to have to share Jesus Christ with that one who's going to go through some situation. It's my opinion that everybody gets to the point where they're asking the question, is there life after death? Why is life so unfair? Does God exist? These questions, do you think they're going to come to you if you have compromised your integrity? You know what you are to them? You're a hypocrite. You go to church, you give God 85% of your life, but 15% God doesn't get. This belt of truth is what we need and the devil longs to make us ineffective. Have confidence that practicing the truth will be rewarded. Do you know why? Not because you did it good enough. That's not why. It's not because you were so good at doing right. It's because God is good. God is good. And if I can just point us to one attribute as we close, because many of us have to hold on to this. We think of this idea and the words that I'm using, this is a challenge for us. And I won't ask you to raise your hands as to how many have failed because I can't count that high, right? How many have failed? And when you praise God, so when you're praying to God, whether it be when you put your head on the pillow tonight or tomorrow morning when you get up, thank God for his mercy. Thank God that you, as a follower of God, weren't so great in this putting on of the truth. But God looks to you with patience and with mercy. And here's what God does. Come, my child. Come, my child. 
And last week we said the devil will remind you of every time you fail and he will try to get you to the point where, he, where you believe his lie and God the Father looks upon you and says, come my child, why? How does God the Father see you if you're born again? He sees you as washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the picture that I, I hate to admit how often I have to use it. I come to God and I know where I failed and I've got my sin before me and I'm picturing that I'm standing before God and I default to this so many times that I picture Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain, standing right next to me with his arm around me and God the Father looks at me and he doesn't say, well, let's weigh him out, Jeremy. He says, you are accepted. You are loved. You are forgiven. Now, beautiful. Even if you've not been good about one of these pieces of the armor, God is merciful. And this is his plan. Brothers and sisters, you have an enemy. You have an enemy that wants you. He wants you to go through this world and just to be happy, go lucky, and ineffective for God. You will be opposed if you put on the belt of truth but also you will realize one of the reasons why God has left you in this world so you can stand in your integrity with this tool that he's given. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I come and with transparency understand the failure that I go through, I thank you so much for your forgiveness and for your patience. And Father, as you look at me, I praise you that you've taken a wretch like me and you've chosen to allow me to be used for a purpose. And God, I would pray that on this day with any that would hear this message, I would pray that they would understand that they are here for a reason. And the devil hates that reason. The devil hates and opposes anything that is of God. And so if we are walking in a way that reflects God, the devil will hate us. But we don't have to shake in our boots we can stand firm, as Ephesians 6 says, starting with this tool of the belt of truth. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron to play through just a short song. And as he plays through, this is a chance for you to pray. You might be here today, and maybe you're not saved, not a Christian. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you because he loves you. And if you will ask for forgiveness, he will make you his child today. That's where it all starts. Maybe you need to pray about something else. Maybe this idea of being faithful to God's word or, or living it around the people that are watching you, whether you know it or not, they're watching. Take a moment to pray.